choir and this worship team and these musicians and Pastor Tony for ushering us into the presence of the Lord today. There's nothing like being in the presence of God. There is nothing greater than the presence of God. Turning your Bibles to the book of John this morning, please, chapter 4. The book of John, chapter 4. I'm going to begin reading in the first verse, and I'll read through the sixth verse. And uh, the scriptures are behind me on the screen if you don't have something to look at and go by. Let me just uh, ask you for a favor uh, for your pastor the next couple of days. I am been invited to preach at a camp meeting tomorrow night and Tuesday night down in Winston-Salem. It's a uh, one of our sister denominations, Church of the Living God, a Pentecostal denomination. And uh, they called me sometime back and invited me to come uh, tomorrow night and Tuesday night and to preach the first couple of nights of their camp meeting. I would appreciate your prayers tomorrow night and Tuesday night. If you don't mind, uh, service starts at 7.30 every night. And I would be very gracious and grateful to you if maybe you would offer a prayer for me. Uh, They got me the first two nights because the next three nights after that is our newly elected general overseer, Tim Hill. And thankfully, they had me go first uh, so I don't have to follow behind him uh, and preach. And I told him uh, recently that I was just going to be John the Baptist and prepare the way for the Messiah as he comes to preach uh, those final three nights, but it is my my honor and privilege to be a part of that meeting those first two nights, and I just believe that God has given me something for those pastors and those ministers and those preachers that are going to be there, uh, so if you don't mind, help me pray, and I'd be grateful for that. Just before we read the scripture, I uh, just want to say how good it is to have all of our children in here with us today. This is the fifth Sunday of the month, and every fifth Sunday... Uh, we have what we call Family Sunday. It gives Pastor Lindell and Hilda and their team of volunteers a much-needed break to be able to be in service and to be with us. And then it exposes our children to worship with the adults, which I believe is very important and very critical. And uh, we're just glad that they're in here today with us. So thankful that they can be a part today of worship service. And Pastor Lindell and Hilda left on Thursday uh, for vacation. So they're gone all of this week, and uh, I'm just glad that they'll get a chance to get away and to kind of refill and refuel uh, their tank. Look out in the congregation, I see Brother Fred and Sister Diane Myers that are back after several weeks away down in Florida. It's good to see you. We're glad that you're back. Welcome home. We missed you. We're thankful that you're back this morning. And uh, it's just good to see you today. John chapter 4. Begin reading in the first verse, and I'll read through the sixth verse, and here's what the Bible says. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea, departed again to Galilee, and he left so he would avoid any confrontation with the Pharisees about John's disciples and Jesus' disciples and who was baptizing who. He did not want at that moment to engage in what he felt like was a meaningless, petty confrontation. Now let me just say this before I keep reading. You don't have to fight every battle that comes your way. 
there was a choir back here, I'd get an amen from somebody. <clears throat> you don't have to fight every battle that comes your way. You don't have to confront every single thing that comes your way. Sometimes you're better off just to remove yourself and leave the situation and let God work it out. That might be that I might as well just say amen and go home now. I'll be the best preaching I do all morning. Some things just aren't worth fighting about. Jesus knew that. So he said, you know what? Instead of debating and arguing with these Pharisees here because no, nobody's going to win, he said, I'm just going to depart. I'm going to leave, and I'm going to go to Galilee. Let me pick up verse four, uh, verse 4. So on his way from Judea to Galilee, the Bible says in verse 4, but he needed to go through Samaria, and we know why, because he's going to meet that woman at the well there. He's going to encounter her, and he's going to confront her and deal with her spiritual life. He's going to offer her living water. She's going to have a salvation experience. Verse 5, so he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Verse 6, and this is the verse I want to zero in on. Now Jacob's well was there. Watch this next line here. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey. I'm not going to preach the obvious meaning of our text or this chapter today about the Samaritan woman and living water, but I want to, I want to, I want to focus on this verse. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour or 12 o'clock in the afternoon. Jesus came to that place and he was weary from his journey. If the Lord will help me this morning, I want to take a few moments and preach on this thought, weary from the journey. Can we pray one more time that I'll let you be seated. Father, I thank you today for the presence of the Holy Spirit that I sense in this building. God, I thank you for our moments of worship and celebration and praise that we've had the opportunity to give to you. God, there's been such a, a wonderful spirit of freedom in here today, and Lord, I don't want to let that moment pass us by without offering my gratitude and my thanks to you for gracing this place with your presence these last several moments. So God, as we move into this final stage and final phase of this service today, don't, don't lift that spirit that's been here, God, from the very first song that we've sung, but let it, let it just settle and hover here as I preach what I believe is something you've laid on my heart for these people today. God, I trust you. I lean upon you. I need you. If you don't help me, I cannot do this today. And I'm asking for your strength and your grace, and we love you in Jesus' name. The church said amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Pastor Tony, thank you this morning for your help. This is one of those scripture passages that just leaped off the page at me this week. The obvious implication here in verse 6 is that Jesus has grown weary and tired from the journey that he's been on. When he decided to depart from Judea and go to Galilee, he needed, first of all, the Bible tells us, to go through Samaria. 
Through some research and study that I've done this week, I found that Jesus probably traveled about 30 miles that day when he left on foot, probably walked for somewhere between five or six hours to get to Samaria, to that city in Samaria, Sakar, and to get to Jacob's well. When he got there that day, the Bible makes it very plain to us that he was tired, that he was weary, so thus he sat down by the well. If you've been in church any length of time, you understand that the following verses from verse 7 on are going to reveal to us this powerful encounter that Jesus has with a Samaritan woman. Oftentimes, when the Jews would travel, they would go the long way around and would never pass through Samaria because there was this great hatred and contention and bigotry and prejudice that existed between the Jews and the Samaritans, but not Jesus. He gets there that day. That woman comes to the well, and he just confronts her right where she is in her life. See, he didn't find it necessary to confront and deal with the foolishness of the Pharisees, but he did find it necessary to confront a lady that was lost in her sin and so desperately needed to encounter the grace and the goodness of Christ that only he could offer. So he sits down that day. And when I, when I first read that this week, and you know, there's times when you study the Bible and you read the Scripture. Brother Turpin, you can probably attest to this. There's stuff that you've read hundreds of times. But there's times when you come across something, you know that you've seen it, you know that you've laid your eyes on it, you know that you've read it, but, but for whatever reason, that, that particular time, the Holy Spirit brings revelation. It kind of leaps off the page at you. The, the layers are peeled back, and you just get this sense of a, of a stirring that, boy, there's something more there than what I'm seeing. And when I, when I see that particular passage of Scripture that Jesus being wearied from the journey... It just reminds me that as divine as Jesus was, he was still human in so many ways. The Bible teaches us in Hebrews 4 and 15 that he was in all points tempted just like we were. So Jesus grew weary and Jesus grew tired and Jesus slept and there were probably times that Jesus didn't feel well and his feet were sore and his feet were tired and his legs hurt and he went through all of the all of the feelings that we as humans go through tempted just like we were but yet he never sinned and this is not the first time in scripture that we find a sleepy savior this is not the first time in the scripture that we encounter Jesus, divine but yet human and exhausted. There is a, a story told in the book of Mark chapter 4. Jesus has spent a good part of his day teaching and preaching. And as the day is drawing to a close, he looks at his disciples and he compels them, the Bible says, to get into a boat. And he says, let us cross over to the other side. And as they get in that boat and they launch out from the shore, they get in the middle of that Sea of Galilee, the Bible says that a great wind storm arose. The boat was being tossed to and fro, but remember Jesus had already made them a promise, and sometimes we miss that. I believe in verse 35 when he said, let us cross over to the other side. Jesus knew they were going to encounter that storm. 
He knew the windstorm was coming, but he had already made them a promise. But in the midst of that storm, somehow they forgot the promise that God had that Jesus had given to them. And is that not the case with us sometimes that we find ourselves in the midst of a storm, in the midst of a struggle, in the midst of a trial, and God has already given us every promise that we're going to come through, we're going to be okay, but we allow the elements that are around us to blind us from the promise that God has already given us. Oh, I feel a preacher on me today. So they get into that boat and they get in the middle of the storm and the Bible tells us that Jesus, while the, while the storm is going on, the disciples are afraid they're going to die. Lord, save us. We're going to perish. It tells us that Jesus is in the back part of the ship. And guess what he's doing? He's not praying. He doesn't have the scrolls open. He's not studying the Scripture. He's not dialoguing with one of his disciples about some deep, profound theological issue. You know what Jesus is doing? He's sleep. Jesus is sleeping. He slept through the storm. You know why Jesus slept through the storm? He already had a peace settled in his heart that everything was going to be all right. The disciples are stressing. The disciples are scared out of their minds and they go to Jesus and say, don't you care? We're about to die here. And what's Jesus doing? He's sleeping. I mean, he's worn out. He's tired. He's preached. He's taught all day long. He needs a nap. And isn't it amazing that the storm never even stirred him? He slept right through it. And finally, when they stir him and wake him up, no doubt he's probably rubbing sleep out of his eyes, James Hanks. And probably a little frustrated, don't you imagine? There is nothing worse than being woken up from a good nap or a good sleep. Anybody, can I get an amen to that this morning? And he's been, he's been woke up. Now, if he was on all points tempted as we were, you reckon he may have felt a little grouchy when they woke him up? First of all, he's tired, and secondly, because they say, don't you care, we're going to die, and he gets up, and you can hear some of the frustration. Oh, you of little faith, what's wrong with you? Probably what he won't say is, don't you see, I'm sleeping here, why are you bugging me? And he gets up, and the Bible said he rebuked the wind and the waves, and he said, peace, be still. And at that moment, the waves and the winds just died down. And he reveals a principle to those 12 men that what was over their head was already under his feet. And I want to tell somebody today that what's over your head is already under his feet, which means that he has already conquered it, he's already won it, he's got complete and total control over it. So it may be over your head, but it's under his feet because he is God and he's in charge of everything as it relates to our life. <clears throat> and it just stands to reason that if Jesus grew weary... All of us at some point in our lives are going to grow weary. I'm not talking about weariness that comes from not sleeping well. 
I'm not talking about a, a weariness that comes because you went to bed at 1 o'clock and you woke back up at 7 o'clock and you didn't sleep. I'm not talking about that kind of weariness. But I'm talking about a weariness that comes from the grind of this thing called life. The struggle of life, the stress of life, the pressure of life. Paul reminds us in Galatians 6 and 9, here's what he says, and let us not grow weary in well-doing. For in due season we will reap if we faint not, which that says to me that weariness is a process that happens over time. You don't just wake up one morning and decide that you're weary. Now, you'll wake up one morning and decide you're sleepy or you're tired because you didn't sleep well the night before. You'll wake up and decide that you're tired and you're sleeping because your kids are on a horrible summer schedule and they sleep way too late in the day. Did anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about there? And they stay up too late and then they sleep till 11 o'clock and they're on this vicious cycle that they just can't seem to get off of. I'm telling you, August the 9th is coming soon for my two and 7 o'clock in the morning, it's going to be a rude awakening for them when it gets here. I found myself tired a lot this summer. Not weary, but tired. But I got up. I'm not talking about that kind. I'm talking about weariness. That comes from the grind day in and day out. From issues that you deal with and pressures that you, that you have and, and weight that you carry. That will wear you out. Listen, not even pastors are exempt from that. I... I read some statistics this week that tell us that 1,700 pastors a month are leaving the ministry. 55 pastors a day, they said, walk away from the ministry because they're so weary from the battle. And I must admit to you, I found myself the last few months pretty weary, pretty tired. Pastor, are we that bad? No, you're not bad, but it's just the grind it's the day-to-day -day grind of ministry and pouring out and doing what you do. See, just because you see me up here on a Sunday morning and I look halfway decent. I even got some new shoes on this morning, Brother Turpin. You already saw them, didn't you? I already got some. I wore them. I thought about you when I put them on this morning. They're running a special. Every shoe in the store, $29.99. You better get down there and get you some. And you can get up here and you can preach and you can... Look halfway decent and, and do what you have to do. But listen, there's times that we find ourselves weary from the day-to-day -day grind. There's some examples in Scripture that talk about people being exhausted. The book of Judges chapter 8, there's a man by the name of Gideon whom God had raised up to deliver the Israelites from the hand of the Midianites who had come to oppress them. And the Bible says that Gideon started out with an army of 10,000 men, but it dwindled down to 300 as he was pursuing the Midianites to, to, to finish off the battle and to, 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 to get complete victory. It says that he and his 300 men, they came to the brook exhausted, but keeping up the pursuit. Heard one preacher preach it this way. They were worn out, but they were still going. And then the book of 1 Samuel chapter 30 as David and his men are, are pursuing the Amalekites, they're in the grind of battle. They're in the struggle of battle. David comes to a brook, the Bible says. He's had 600 men with him, and David and 400 men cross over. But the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse number 10, that 200 could not cross over because they were too weary. I'm telling you, life will wear you out if you let it.
the grind of life, and life is a journey. That means we take it one step at a time, one day at a time, sweet Jesus, we used to sing. And if left unchecked and if left untreated, weariness will cripple you if you're not careful. And weariness, I believe, is something that happens in the mind. But when the mind becomes weary, the body breaks down and the body becomes tired. There's an example in Scripture. If you don't think that weariness, if left unchecked and untreated, is deadly, why don't you ask David, the great king? In 2 Samuel chapter 11, the Bible says that at a time when kings normally go to war, David didn't go to war. Guess where David was? David was in the palace. And guess what David was doing? David was sleeping because David was weary. And the Bible says that David got up from his nap that day and opened the door to the roof of his house because in that time those roofs were built, uh, they were built out. It was an extension of the house, flat. You could walk around on it. And as he walks out on that roof and he looks across the courtyard, guess who he sees? He sees Bathsheba bathing. And the Bible lets us know that she was a beautiful woman. But because David was weary in mind, the grind of the battle, the grind of being king, and the the day-to-day struggle and stress that he had that all of us in here deal with at times, his weariness led him down a path that he had no business going down, and he sent, and he inquired about her, and they brought her to the house, and they engaged in 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 an affair, and it cost David greatly. Weariness, if it's left unchecked and untreated, it will cost you greatly. Ask Samson, the mightiest man in all of Scripture, more powerful than any person we read about in the Bible, set apart from his mother's womb, a Nazarite vow, the anointing, the call of God upon him. I mean, he had such strength that he would take the jawbone of a donkey and kill a thousand men. Such a strong man that he was that he literally picked up the gates of the city one night and moved them. So strong was this man that he caught 300 foxes and tied their tails together, set them on fire, and burned up the fields of his enemies. This man was unlike any other man, but Samson grew weary. If you read Judges 16, it tells us that he had engaged in this relationship with a woman named Delilah. And she wanted to know the secret of where his great strength was. The Philistines had paid her off to find out the secret of his strength. Samson was a thorn in the flesh to the Philistines. He had routed them in in battle time and time again. They said, listen, find out the secret of his strength. Find out where it lies. And, And she pressed him. The Bible uses the word that she vexed him. Day in and day out until, until he couldn't take it any longer. And in Judges 16, it says that, that when she had lulled him to sleep, he laid his head in her lap. And she cut off those seven locks of hair that had been braided together. And she cut those locks off and she lulled him to sleep. He was a tired man. He was a weary man. The battle had worn him out. And as she lulled him to sleep and cut off his hair, that was the secret of his strength, that no razor should ever come upon his head, the Bible said. 
And she said, Samson, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. The Bible said that he, he woke up and he shook himself as at other times and thought he could do what he'd always done. But he did not realize, listen, that the Lord, the presence of God had departed from him. What happened? They took him prisoner. The Bible says that they gouged his eyes out. Put him in a prison and made him grind. Literally, the Bible says grind in a mill every single day. It was the grind of life that broke him down and caused him to be weary, and he ran to the wrong thing. I, I don't know why I feel so strongly today to preach this, but I, I feel like I need to help somebody today. At the end of his life, God was so gracious to this man. The Philistines are gathered together in this big party, this big celebration. They bring Samson out to make sport of him and make fun of him. And he asks for them to position him between two of the pillars. And while the Philistines are partying, having the time of their life, Samson says, God, just this once more, would you strengthen me? And the, the power and the might that he had once known, God one more time moves upon him and he takes those big old hands of his and the power of God comes upon him and he, pus and he pushes between those two pillars till he literally pushes those pillars down and the, the whole building comes down and it kills the Philistines. And the Bible said he killed more at that moment in his life than he did his entire life. But I wonder how the story, God, I feel the anointing of God today. I wonder, I wonder what the pages of Judges would have said. I wonder what the story would have looked like had he not been so weary and laid his head in the wrong line. Weariness will wear you out and it will cripple you if you're not careful. The Bible tells us that Jesus was wearied from his journey. Weary. From his journey. So what did he do? He sat down. I'm telling you that life is a journey. And if you're not careful, it will wear you out. There are places all along the way on this journey called life that will wear you out. Life is a journey, and it's exhausting at times. Has anybody ever found, have you ever found yourself growing sick and tired of being sick and tired? Ever found yourself? You're not just sick and tired, but you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, Brother Stout. That's a rough place to be when sick and tired makes you more sick and tired. And you do understand this morning that weariness is a state of mind, but if the state of mind stays weary so long, it will begin to affect your body physically. You know, sick and tired of being sick and tired, and you have financial struggles. Wears you out. Family issues. And there are people today sitting in this congregation. You've been dealing with family issues for a long time, and it's wearing you out. Powerful struggles that you just can't seem to overcome. God, I feel the Holy Ghost today. Thank you, Father. Personal failures. And the grind just continues 
day after day after day. It's no wonder that Jesus in Matthew 24 talked to us about endurance. What did he say in Matthew 24 and 13? That those who endure till the end shall be saved. So was the reason Jesus said that, Aunt B? Because I believe he knew that people would grow so weary and tired with where they are and what's happening in life and what's going on in the world and we'd find ourselves not sleepy and not tired but worn out. And I listen, I've heard the sermons and I've read things this week. Preachers will give you things that you're supposed to do. In just a moment, I'm going to give you a couple things that I believe will help you. And I, I, I listen, I know what they say. That you'll be impressive for how you start, but you'll be remembered for how you finish. you got to finish well. you got to endure. They'll say things like this. Don't break down before you break through. They'll tell you don't let your memories become bigger than your dreams. They'll tell you not to make a permanent decision based on temporary circumstances. They'll tell you there's some things you're not meant to change. You're simply meant to survive. So if you can't alter it, just outlive it. I've read those things this week. I believe those things this week. I believe they're true. But sometimes even in the midst of doing all that, you still feel weary from the journey. What are we supposed to do? I'm going to give you three things real fast. If you find yourself today weary from the journey, and I, I just sense by the witness of the Holy Ghost in my heart, there's some folks today that are weary from the journey in here. Number one, are you ready if you're taking notes? you got to keep it in perspective. What do, you, what do you mean by that, Pastor? Here's what I mean by that. You have to remember and you have to realize that everything that goes on down here, it's all about eternity. This life that we're living this walk that we're walking, this journey that we're on, it's not about what happens down here. It's all about eternity. Listen, we're not going to be here forever. You know what the old preacher used to say? We're just a weary pilgrim passing through this old dry wasteland. Listen, heaven is our home. Listen, if you just look over, over yonder, I can see the city. I can see the streets of gold. I can see the walls of jasper. I can see the pearly white gates. I can see the river of life that runs through there. It's not about here. It's about over there. But while it's about over there, we still got to live here. Man, I feel God in my soul today. Must be these new shoes, Brother Turpin. I hear the words of the Apostle Paul to his young protege, Timothy. 2 Timothy 4, verses 6, 7, and 8. He said, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith, but verse 8 is what gets me, Brother Kenny Hancock. There is therefore laid up for me now a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, but not only to me, but to all who love his appearing. Paul said, listen, I've done good down here. I've fought. I've struggled. I've won, but it's not down here that I'm working for. I've got my eyes on a city, Abraham said. 
said, whose builder and maker is the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, I don't care about gain down here. I don't care about a crown down here. But there is a day coming that I'm going to stand before the Lord, Paul said, and there'll be a crown that he puts on my head. Why? Because I did well down here. You've got to remember today, it's not about the struggle down here. It's not about the fight down here. But there is a place called eternity and a crown that is waiting upon you. Come on and praise the Lord today. What did Jesus tell us in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19, 20, and 21? He said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He said, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. While I want to do good down here, I want to finish what well, I'm building on something that is far greater than any house I can live in, any car I can drive, any platform I can preach upon. I'm looking toward eternity and spending forever with the Lord Jesus Christ. I come on and praise the Lord today. Hallelujah. Oh. Now, if you'll pray for me, I'll preach this good tomorrow night and Tuesday. you got to keep it in perspective. You hear me? Whatever's going on right now, whatever has made you so weary, so worn out, and so tired, you got to keep it all in perspective. It's all about eternity. Whatever you're going through right now, it's not going to be like, you won't go through it forever. Wherever you are right now, you won't be there forever. Whatever the struggle, the trial, the test is, it won't last forever. This too shall pass. I'm telling you, eternity is ours today. You got to keep it in perspective. Here's the second thing you got to keep pressing. You hear me? You got to keep pressing. Quitting is not an option. I'm going to bear my soul right here. I'm gonna, I may regret it later. I'm going to tell you, there's been times on this 20-year journey of full-time ministry. Pastor, you don't look old enough. I know it. Thank you. I'm 40 years old and three months. I, we started full-time in 1997. We've been doing this 20 years, full time. The longest break we've ever had at any length of time has been a week for a vacation. And I'm going to tell you, there's been some days, some days back at Rocky Mountain, and even some days here, I'd like to tell you that there, if the phone would ring and I had a trade and an occupation, I've said before I'd leave and I'd go do something else besides ministry. Pastor, really? We're not that bad. Oh, no, it has nothing to do with you has nothing to do with this church. I brag on you and she'll vouch. I brag on you all the time. But there's been times, Brother Turpin, I've been so weary. It's probably a reason why God never gave me another trade that I could live on. Thank you. Because if I had something that I could do, there's been days, I'm telling you, I'd walk. 
and I would do something different, and I would just go to church. I'd be a normal member. I'd be just a normal person. I'd pay my tithes. I'd volunteer. James, I'd be an usher. Gina, I'd be a greeter. I'd just be a normal person in the church. Pastor, are you really that weak? It's not about being weak. 20 years, grind and you grind and you pour out into people. There's times that you go, my God, I can't do this anymore. But quitting's not an option. Do you hear me? Quitting is not an option. And while you're pressing, you got to stay steady. Here's the problem, and I need to hurry. Here's the problem, especially in, in Pentecostal churches. We have no balance in our lives. Either we're way over here, back in the day, and you couldn't wear makeup, and you couldn't wear jewelry, you couldn't drink a soft drink, and you couldn't go to a movie theater, and you certainly couldn't go into a swimming pool with anybody else there. And I'm not making fun of that. I'm grateful for my heritage, by the way. I thank God for people that had a standard of holiness. But listen to me. We got so bogged down in that. And it became legalism. So all of a sudden, we thought, well, that's, that, that, that's too legalistic. So we just took the pendulum all the way over here. And now, we just dress however we want. We do whatever we want. We go wherever we want to go. We social drink and we think it's okay. We live together outside a covenant of marriage. We call it cohabitation. I call it sin and Jesus calls it sin. I've done gone from being gracious and diplomatic to being bold and stupid and I don't even care now. And we don't want to lose our benefits from the government, so that's why we live in sin. That's a bunch of hogwash is what it is. Pastor, you're going to offend somebody. I'd rather offend you than get up here and water down the Word and preach some man-big-pan-big gospel and have to stand before God and Him say, why didn't you tell my people the truth? We can't seem to find a middle road anywhere. Why can't we be balanced? And listen, and here's what we do. Here's the problem we're in now. Either, either we're way over here when it comes to worship and praise and we all want to shout and run and speak in tongues all the time and it's all about a feeling or we get over here on this side and we're deader than a funeral home on a Sunday morning. We don't want to offend people looking for a, a church that their family will fit with and fit into. So we relegate the Holy Ghost to a back. Oh, I'm going into preaching since I'm going to preach this week to those folks at that camp meeting. And we relegate the Holy Ghost to a back room somewhere. We don't want to offend anybody. We certainly can't have a message in tongues and interpretation. They'll think we're a bunch of flakes and we're a bunch of, bunch of kooks. Why can't we find a balance somewhere? You know what the preacher said one time? If you have too much spirit, no word, you blow up. If you have too much word, no spirit, you dry up. Why can't we just have a balance somewhere and say, I want the word and I want the Holy Ghost and I want righteousness and I want pure living, but I don't have to be in bondage and I don't have to be so free-spirited that I compromise the word. we got to find a balance somewhere. I'm almost done. 
you got to stay steady, though, while you're pressing. Quitting quitting is not an option. You know what Winston Churchill one time said? He said, the nose of the bulldog is slanted it backwards so he can breathe without letting go. We need some tenacious, bulldog-spirited people that will look in the face of hell and in spite of what's going on and in spite of the struggle, in spite of the pain, in spite of the weariness, say, I am not going to quit. I'm going to keep fighting. I'm going to keep pressing. There's something I'm working for. It's not down here, but it's up there. What did Paul tell us? Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to the things that are ahead. He said, I press. Somebody say, I press. I press toward the mark for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There's a story in 2 Samuel chapter 23 that tells us of David and three of his mighty men that defied the Philistines to fight them in battle. When they were aligned to go to war, when the rest of the Israelites, listen, had, had tucked tail and had run, there was a man named Eleazar, the Bible says, 2 Samuel 23, verse 9 and 10. And it says he arose and he attacked the Philistines. And it said that while he was fighting, he grew so weary that his hands stuck to the sword. Listen, there's times you're going to be so tired and so worn out and so weary. You're just going to have to hold on to the sword. You're going to have to fight one more time. You're going to have to pray one more time. You're going to have to fast one more time. You're going to have to give one more time. You're going to have to worship one more time. You're going to have to praise one more time. You're going to have to show up at church one more time. You've got to keep pressing. There is no other option. Pastor Tony, I want you just to come right now, please. Just you. <clears throat> Help me lay in this thing. What's the third thing we have to do? We've got to keep it in perspective. We've got to keep pressing. Are you ready for this? And we have to come away with him so we don't come apart. You know what I mean when I say come away? We've got to find a place in his presence. Listen, if you're living from Sunday to Sunday and this is the only time you get in his presence, it's no wonder you're worn out. If you say, Pastor, that little three-point message you preach every Sunday, that 40, 45 minutes, listen, we can live on that. It's no wonder you're worn out. I'm not a good enough preacher for you to live on from Sunday to Sunday. Somebody needs to say amen because it's the truth. But there's something about being in the presence of God. You know what David said in Psalm 16 and 11? He said, you'll show me the path of life. And in your presence, Brother Beckner, there is fullness of joy. Wait a minute, Pastor. You mean everything I'm looking for and the path I need to go down and the decisions I need to make, I can find him in his presence. Yeah, you can find him in his presence. You don't have to be in a sanctuary full of a bunch of people or a choir singing or worship leader pumping you or priming you right in your prayer closet, in your prayer place. God can give you direction and give you you clarity. you got to come away so you don't come apart. If you don't learn to live in his presence, listen, you're going to die. give you this illustration I'm going to be done I've used it before but I just felt so compelled this week in the book of Isaiah chapter 40 verses 28 through 31 the Bible says have you not known have you not heard 
the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He neither faints nor is he weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Verse 29 says he gives power to the faint. And to him that has no might, he increases strength. Verse 30 says that even the youths shall faint and become weary. And young men shall utterly fall. But they, they that wait upon the Lord, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like an eagle. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. What a powerful analogy that God uses between the eagle and weariness. Let me close with this right here. Don't don't check out on me. Stay right here for just a minute. That when I read that scripture, it dawns on me that the eagle at times finds himself weary. I did some study years ago on the eagle. Matter of fact, I preached about a four-week sermon years ago at Rocky Mount on the eagle. And here's what I found out, that the eagle renews itself daily through a process called preening, they call it. Here's what he does. He sits on a rock. This will sound familiar to some of you. I used it. I used it about a year ago. And he passes each of his wing feathers through his mouth and he breathes on them. While he's doing that, there is this gland in his mouth that produces this oily liquid. And as those feathers are passing through his mouth and he breathes on them, that oily liquid waterproofs his feathers so that he doesn't get waterlogged when he swoops down into the sea or to a river to hunt fish and to get a meal. There is a process that he goes through that that keeps him fresh, that keeps him renewed, that keeps him from being weighted down. They say that an eagle never misses one day preening. It takes about an hour, they say, for him to go through this process. And experts tell us that it restores his feathers from yesterday's activities. When I read that, it dawned on me that speaks simply of our quiet time with God that we should spend with him every single day. Listen, he breathes on those feathers. I need the Holy Ghost like he did in John 20 and 22 and be sometimes just to breathe on me. And he puts that, listen, he puts that oily liquid. There's an anointing that God has for us that will get us from day to day to day to day. It's what David said in Psalm 92 and 10, I shall be anointed with fresh oil. It's what David would write in Psalm 23 and 5, he anoints my head with oil. I need the touch of God, not just on a Sunday to preach and not just on a Wednesday to teach. I need a fresh touch of God every single day that restores me and renews me and prepares me for the next day that I'm facing. But then watch this, and I'm closing. You know, every good sermon has at least three closings, so this is number two. He not only renews himself daily, but he renews himself seasonally. Because there is a period of time in the eagle's life that his feathers will begin to wear out. And he'll make this whistling noise. 
as he's flying and as he's swooping down. You know, he's a bird of prey. He hunts. And when his feathers begin to wear out, they'll make this whistling noise so that it gives him away to his prey. And he's not as effective as he used to be. He can't operate and do what he needs to do because he's worn out. So here's what the eagle does. It's amazing how God created this majestic bird. He flies as high as he possibly can. And he gets as close to the sun, S-U-N, as he can. And during this time, as his feathers have begun to wear out, his talons are not as sharp as they used to be. Calcification has started to form on his beak, so he's not able to be the bird God created him to be because he's worn out. And when he gets up to that spot as high as he can, closest to the sun as he can, he goes through this painful process that lasts several months of plucking out every single one of his 7,000 feathers. Day by day, it takes several months. He plucks out every single feather. They say it's a very painful process, but why does the eagle keep doing that? Because they say he's more concerned about the progress than he is the pain. He knows if he can survive the pain that there's something greater on the other side. Boy, I'm preaching good today. I feel good. It may not sound good, but my God, Brother Stout, it certainly feels good. He told me I was doing good. Thank you. When he's done plucking every feather out, they say he stands there clean and fresh and naked, just completely exposed. And he stands in the warmth of that sun while he's waiting for those feathers to grow back. He starts rubbing his talons on the rock, getting them sharp again. God, I'm about to have a fit right here. He starts rubbing his beak on the rock to get it sharp and get it effective again. And here's what was so astounding to me. You know how long it takes for those feathers to grow back once he gets done plucking them all out, which takes several months? You know how long it takes for the feathers to grow back and for him to be ready to fly again? It takes 40 days. I got that moonwalking anointing on me this morning. 40 days. And the Bible speaks. Listen, I'm not one of those guys that thinks that you can take a number and compare it to everything, but 40 is significant. It speaks of a test. It speaks of a trial. It speaks of a struggle. Do I, do I need to prove that to you? Look at Jesus in the wilderness. How many days did he stay in the wilderness tempted by the devil? Forty days. How many days did it rain on the earth when God punished mankind? Forty days and forty nights. How, how many years did the children of Israel walk around in the wilderness? How long was it? Forty years. But at the end of that forty day or that forty year period, there was something new that was being birthed. There was something new that was forming. There was something great that was coming as a result of that trial and a result of that test and that eagle understands if he can make it through the process if he can endure the pain if he can get every feather plucked out and stand there underneath that S-U-N sun that at the end of 40 days he's going to be ready to soar again he's going to be ready to fly again he's going to be ready to face the future that God has for his life here's what I want somebody to know today we need to fly as high as we possibly can spiritually and get ourselves underneath not the S-U-N 
S-U-N, but the S-O-N, the Son of God, and let him purge us and let him break us and let him mold us. And when it's all said and done and the dust settles and the trial's over, you're going to be ready to soar again into places you never thought possible. So if you're weary today, I'm telling you to hold on. Don't get broken apart. Don't get broken down, but find a place in his presence and bask in his glory and let him renew you today. Come on and praise the Lord. Stand up with me, please. Musicians and singers, come. Come join Pastor Tony today. Hallelujah. Raise up your hands today. Raise up your hands today and welcome the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. got to come away so you don't come apart pastor how do i how am i renewed how do i how do i come away so i don't come apart you find a place in his presence and let him renew you i know it's painful i know it's painful right now I know you're going through some stuff. You feel like that eagle, every feather you have, so to speak, is being plucked out. And you're wondering, God, what are you doing? And here I stand, God, exposed broken, hurting. What's going to happen? God says, listen, I'm just renewing you. I'm just getting you ready for the next step. I'm getting you ready for the next place. I'm getting you ready for the next phase of your life. Don't let weariness wear you out and break you down. Come away so you don't come apart. Would you raise up your hands and welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit today. There are some folks today, you're weary from the journey. I'm feeling the anointing of God in this place today to pray for some folks that are weary from the journey. I mean, life has worn you out. Life has beaten you down. You have struggled. You felt yourself underneath the weight, underneath the trial, underneath the test. You feel like you've been walking through a fire and you say, I don't know, Pastor, if I can take one more day. I don't know if I can get up one more morning. I don't know if I can put one more foot in front of the other, Pastor. I feel like I'm worn out. I'm broken down. I'm telling you, there's a remedy for your weariness. It is the presence of God today. And he never promised that the cross would not get heavy and the hill would not be hard to climb. <laughs> he never promised our victory without fighting, but he did say help would always come in time. So just remember when you're standing in the valley of decision and everything says to give in and to give up, just hold on. He's going to come through and he'll help you walk through the fire. Listen, don't let this journey called life beat you down. I know it's a grind. I'm talking to myself. Don't let this grind of ministry, pastor, beat you down. Don't let it break you down. You've got to hang on. There's a strength that comes from God in the midst of weariness. If you're here today and you're weary from the journey and you feel like I've been talking to you and the Holy Spirit has been speaking to your heart, I want you to get out of your pew as fast as you can and come stand at this altar as quick as you can. Come. 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 If you're just weary from the journey, just come.